Hey everyone, welcome to episode 103 of the Switch Focus podcast. I'm your host, Andy Corrigan. With me, as always, is Andrew Brown. 103! <laughs> uh, and uh, possibly a shorter episode this week, because uh, we're still all hanging out for the Nintendo Directs that doesn't seem to be forthcoming, uh, leaving us with no idea what we're going to be playing in 2020, aside from going back to old stuff. Uh yeah, so we'll we'll just jump right into what we have been playing. Okay, I guess it's kind of more of an update from the previous episode, but uh, both of us have finished Tokyo Mirage Sessions, I believe, now. Yes. Cool. So, uh, yeah, I managed to burn through it incredibly quickly. Just a couple of comments. Just generally speaking, I found it a much easier game than any of the Personas. Five in particular had, like, a really harsh difficulty spike at the end. Uh, this sort of never really suffered from that uh, because the I, I think last last time you called the combat system broken, which I think is fair. Uh, but it's like broken in the favor of the player, so that doesn't really matter at all because it's just too much fun to abuse. <laughs> I was probably the most critical on the story last time, um, and I have to admit I did sort of warm to it the more it went on. Whereas the Persona series sort of leans heavily into people like coming to terms with something they don't really like about themselves, and you know that's the journey here. It's about more about overcoming self-doubt, uh, uh, a particular ability, and it does that in just like silly, charming ways. I, I I sort of came around on that towards the end, even though I don't I don't think it's quite on the the Persona level still. Um, Barry, <laughs> Barry. So, <laughs> uh, I got to know Barry a little more, uh, finished his uh, side quests. Uh, in fact, I did all the side quests. Yeah, he is not a good person. He needs to be in jail. Yeah, but he, um, I, I will say one thing for it, like, everything he does is played at his expense, at least. So, like, he's the joke. Yeah, the, it, it's not like a glamorized version of whatever the hell he's got going on. Yeah, but he's um, treated as a harmless joke, which he's yeah. most definitely not harmless in his yeah. behavior. <laughs> if, you, if somebody like this acted like this in real life, it would be deeply, deeply concerning. Yeah, he's he's the weird uncle at the wedding that no one likes and probably smells a bit. He's Uncle Touchy, <laughs> basically. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> he's the uncle you don't let be alone with the nieces and nephews. Yeah, and surprisingly, they do constantly in this. Um, I did uh, really like uh, Mamori as a character, uh, which mm-hmm. is the yeah. the character he's he's obsessed with. Um, and I really loved the climax of her side quest, where I won't go into the complete details, but she just loses it at someone, and they're like, "Hey, don't lose your cool," and she goes, "I'll lose as many cools as I like while on fire." And uh, yeah, that's my catchphrase now. From here on in. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny when she does it because, like, it actually looks like character development for her. There's only one other character you see lose it like that, and that's Kyria. And in the mm-hmm. context it happens with Kyria, it, it legitimately looks like she's become homicidal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and I did unlock a load of the, uh, you know, the ad libs and the duo arts, and they're really full of character. I, I did really like uh, Subasas, which we touched on last time. Um, because it's just out of this world. <laughs> it's yeah, just so weird. Subasa's soda commercial. I I still love that. But yeah, 
once I hit chapter three, and that's when you really start unlocking more characters to fill out your roster, I mm-hmm. almost never used Subasa in my front lineup, so I didn't get to see it that much, unfortunately. But yeah, I've gotten that rhythm of as soon as I'd unlocked the open audition skill for someone, they mm-hmm. were out. Yeah, entirely. Um, yeah, open audition is a skill that you unlock starting in chapter three. It lets a character session attack even though they're not in the main cast they're in the subcast which means they're not an active player in the battle once i had open audition i i honestly never used kiria or subasa as a main player again just <laughs> they leveled up and they got their weapon skills just sitting in the subcast and it was fine yeah my my worry with that was that they weren't going to get the same uh, stage rank which I, I think they get like a slightly degraded level up if they're in the subcast but they they do get there eventually it's um, a it's a I little have... slower but it, it doesn't make any difference because this is a game where you end up grinding whether you like it or not. <laughs> yeah. Um, and talking of grinding, uh, so I, I did delve into the dungeons, those uh, EX dungeons. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, DLC dungeons. Were they DLC, all of them? It's confusing. Um, <laughs> Stu and I, in the last episode, we weren't quite sure. Like, he, he, he thought they were in the original Wii U version. I thought they were, but only in Japan. Uh, yeah. but it doesn't matter they, they're they here now so yeah but they they certainly weren't in the base game in the north american version because i i have that version and they, they weren't there so um because i i really appreciated these so i didn't use them like too much i i before i finished the game i went to the uh, xp dungeon and maxed everyone out because i've never done that in a jrpg before um and it just gives you really, really easy tools to do that but i <laughs> love how like if if people are struggling, there's a there's a nice easy way to go, level up quickly without having to put heaps of time into just running in circles, which is my usual tactic uh, in JRPGs. I, th- I thought that was a really smart system. You didn't have to use it, but if if things were sort of feeling beyond you, you could go do that without like dropping the difficulty or or whatever. I thought that was a really nice feature. I I, I like it when games give you the tools to just manage things however you like. Yeah, I beat the game on hard and I never found it necessary to use that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just wanted to do it because I knew I could. <laughs> um, it did trivialize that last boss, admittedly. <laughs> and the last boss wasn't that hard. I got no. it down first attempt. Yeah, I, I, I will say one thing, though. There is a, a couple of bosses where they do the um, the one big hit partway through a fight. Uh, the last boss is one of them. They're not as telegraphed as well, as in like the Persona games, you always mm. get a... They're powering up for a large attack message, so you know that you know to guard or or cast some uh, defensive buffs or whatever. And yeah, here they just sort of come out of nowhere. So uh, even though I was like really high level, I did have to reel slightly uh, towards the end of that final boss fight. Yeah, after they do it, they don't. They still don't really do much <laughs> damage at you either. Um, I also sort of dropped off um, doing the U- Carnage Unities. Uh, I kept focusing on my um, I can't remember the the performer the star performer like the uh, star performance performer yeah the you ranked know the, the ranked performer is yeah, that what you're talking about ones. yeah yeah I I just kept spending them on the abilities because they just seemed more useful especially the ones where they uh, yeah. stop part, you know characters from dying yeah it just everything about this game is just about empowering the player just to be as overpowered as possible and i kind of love it yeah so that that's it on for me anyway i i uh, i warmed to the story i didn't quite like it as much as uh 
the Persona series, uh, but I'm I'm certainly glad I've played it, and uh, that combat system is just all out fun from start to finish. What, what were your closing thoughts? What I'm really grappling with in this game is, is does one good system redeem a bad game? Because I think, <laughs> except for the session attacks, which, like, the session attacks, they, they make up, like, the majority of the combat system. Like, when we're talking mm-hmm. about the combat system, we're usually talking about the session attacks, uh, because even, like, the ad-libs and the special performances, those lead straight into session attacks, so <laughs> you, you can't mm-hmm. avoid them. But really, nothing else about this game, I think, is actually that good. <laughs> but the session <laughs> attacks are so good that I enjoyed the game anyway. So... I, I'm just, yeah. I'm really grappling with that. I mean, I enjoyed it, and that's all that really matters at the end of the day. As far as describing whether I think a game is good or not, I enjoyed Tokyo Mirage Sessions solely because of the session attacks, but the, the story was bad. The characters mm. are not memorable. The Fire Emblem tie-in was completely wasted. All the stuff you have to do in the Bloom Palace, like, did you get sick of having to recraft your weapons every time you went back to the bloom palace i I certainly did uh because you reach a point in the game where you can not only make new weapons you can actually recreate your old weapons and you can learn Mm. the skills from them over all over again and yet you really want to do that so that way you can further break the session attacks (laughs) but i was seriously spending five to ten minutes Every time I went back to the Bloom Palace, which is like your home base, it's where you go back to heal, and you're probably doing a lot of your saving there too. Mm-hmm. I'm going back there at least a dozen times in each each dungeon, probably more. And every time I went back, I was spending five to ten minutes recrafting multiple weapons for each of my characters, and it got pretty grating after a while. And like I said in the last episode, if I didn't have my computer next to my TV so I can watch Netflix or Disney or Hulu or whatever while I'm playing this game. I don't know if I would have gotten through this game because <laughs> this game is is has long periods where you're watching animations that are animations you've seen before and you mm-hmm. can skip them, but you have to be actively skipping them. And even the session attacks get to that point where you, you can turn on the fast session attack versions where it plays a really abbreviated version of each session attack. But still... Mm-hmm. When you're doing a session attack, one attack for each character's turn is about 20 to 30 seconds where you're just sitting there watching attack animations. <laughs> See, I, 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 I don't know how I enjoyed this game still, but I did. Because on paper, this game sounds awful. <laughs> it, is, uh, it is good TV fodder, I must admit. I played, I played a lot of it. Uh, while watching TV with my wife this week, so uh, and I, I, that's how I got through it. To be honest, because it was just nice and mindless. And uh, just on the the crafting stuff, I kind of towards the end, I just sort of gave up on that. <laughs> yeah, and would just go in periodically and just do the the highest uh, damage dealing one I could afford to do at the time, and then just focus on that. Um, I also, I think I was tired one night and I completely missed the class change unity. Oh. <laughs> Uh, right until the final dungeon and that just breaks things even more because the abilities wow uh, the new weapon you get from doing that just completely like shatters any sort of challenge <laughs> you could have uh which you know i'm fine with that i tend to go into jrpg fights like more powered than i should be just 
yeah. valuing my own time more than anything. Yeah, I, there's a lot of that I just either stopped engaging with or <laughs> just didn't, you know, when I was naturally back at the Bloom Palace or just when I felt like it. <laughs> Probably a better way to go about it, but I don't know if I could have gotten through hard mode if I didn't. So yeah, I can be fair. very stubborn. Like, I'm not going to let this system defeat me, even if it's boring and I hate it. <laughs> I'm going to do this. I, I was just on normal, so yeah, probably much easier. Okay, uh, well, moving on, uh, let's just talk about the, the new things you've been playing this week. Uh, I can comment on a couple of them because I have played them before, so uh, we'll start off with uh, Guacamelee, the one-two punch collection. Uh, I've played the first game back on uh, the Vita. Uh, my memory is likely to be sketchy, but uh, yeah, how, how did you find those? Uh, the one-two punch collection is the physical release. It has both games with all their DLC in it. Uh, mm-hmm. Or you can just buy the games individually on the eShop. Uh, and they're actually on sale right now for less than 10 bucks each, although probably won't be by the time this episode comes out, but uh, <laughs> worth looking at. They're your standard uh, adventure platformers, you know, the likes of Metroid or Castlevania, Hollow Knight or Ori, and very much in, the, in that vein, but it, it's all set around Mexican culture. Uh, the first game is explicitly set in the Dia de los Muertes, or the, the Day of the Dead. And the second one is, is a little more broad and, and wackier. But I, I felt mo- both games were largely the same, uh, mm-hmm. which wasn't a complaint, because I, I really enjoyed the first game, and I was more than ready to jump right into the second one. What really sets these games apart from other adventure platformers is you are playing as a luchador, so... There's a lot of wrestling going on in this game, and you, mm-hmm. you punch enemies, and it stuns them briefly, and then you can grab them, and you can do one of four different uh, throwing attacks, like a suplex or a, a ground slam, or you can toss them across the level into other enemies just by pressing different directions on the control pad, and there are also different special attacks you learn, which you can use to open barriers, very standard in this kind of game, and they're color-coded, actually, which actually made things a lot easier uh, as far as, you know, looking at a door and knowing what you need to get through it. Instead, there are, like, a purple block or a yellow block or a green block, and that's when you know you need to come back later with, like, the uppercut to get through the green blocks. That made it a Mm -hmm. lot more easier to understand that stuff. There's a combo system where you can do a a basic multi-attack combo, uh, and then you can throw in your, one of your special moves, and then that resets your standard combo, and you can just keep throwing them all together, getting up to 15 or 20 long combos that you can just use to completely wreck enemies or bosses. All of that carry directly over into the sequel, and really the sequel, it, it does toss in a few extra abilities, like uh, the chicken transformation you can actually fight properly in the sequel with that has all the same mm-hmm. abilities that you have as the luchador. And other than that, there's like a, a new grapple ability where you can grab onto hooks and throw yourself through the air. And that's that's all that's new, I think. Really, the sequel just felt like the same game, just made with more experienced developers because the level design, I felt, was a lot stronger in the second one compared okay. to the first one. Yeah. Like, we, I talk about adventure platformers excessively it, it almost sounds like it's one of the only game types i play <laughs> but uh I, I do really enjoy these games i've always really enjoyed these games so I'm, I'm usually down for another one and 
Guacamelee is a pretty good example of it. It's it's not as good as Hollow Knight, but agreed. I think on the Switch, it's one of your better options, and I definitely recommend both of these games. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm definitely a big fan of uh, like these adventure platformers, um, and this this was like it was something I like underplayed a lot, like genre wise, until I played this on Vita, and that just like blew my mind. I don't remember much about the level design. Um, I think I I loved this at the time, but thinking back, I I feel like the first one uh, was it relied too heavily on pop culture references for its humor. There are a lot of that kind of stuff in it, and then the second one actually has an entire level that's just making fun of people who were complaining that in the first one. They literally have <laughs> like you're walking through this little town in the second one i think it's called meme town or something like that Mm -hmm. and there are actually npcs in town who are just cut and pasted steam reviews that were negative (laughs) reviews of the first game (laughs) it's kind (laughs) of hilarious actually uh but yeah there's a lot of that stuff in it there's a lot of memes but they're all like drawn on the background it's not Mm -hmm. that big a deal i didn't find it all that obtrusive and i i I laughed when i saw the negative reviews i was like really (laughs) i've played way worse than this that's a really clever way to deal with it though i think yeah (laughs) i thought it was pretty funny but and it's stuff where where you'll see like the shape of 8-bit mega man in the background or Mm -hmm. there'll Mm -hmm. be a street fighter reference somewhere and yeah it's just a little thing it's it's not like overtly in your face um but it's just something that i became aware of more and more as i was playing it i just wondered how they addressed that in the second one (laughs) and it sounds like they're champions the second one mocks it and it actually goes in even harder on it like there's a few levels that are just (laughs) full-on video game parodies like there's one level which is a recreation of the the car wrecking game from street fighter except it's presented as a boss fight so like, there's like an actual boss screen for the car and before the fight starts you actually meet the guy who's the owner of the car and he's really proud that he owns this car and so after the fight is over uh juan who is the main character his partner tostada basically just goes what the hell man <laughs> and then there's another one that's making fun of microtransactions and like you get into the level and you have to get inside this house and it makes you wait two minutes before you can get inside or you can pay money <laughs> to get inside it like the in-game currency thankfully you get inside and then there's a chest inside and there's a two-hour wait on that chest or you can pay money then you open that chest up <laughs> there's another chest inside it and you have to wait oh, 48 God. hours or pay more money to open it up and when you get inside it what's inside it is one dollar <laughs> and then it mocks you for what going through all that <laughs> i was like this is brilliant <laughs> uh, nice uh so yeah one of your better options you've you've kind of made me want to replay it again uh and uh yeah maybe i'll look out for the physical one maybe yeah i yeah, picked it up idea. back in black friday last year it was nice. 20 bucks so i thought you know ten dollars each for each game that seems like a good deal so i went for that but nice. like I said, they're on the eShop on sale right now for less than 10 each. So that's a good deal, too. Cool. Uh, the next one you played is uh, one I've heard nothing but good things about, uh, except for the, the long wait for that final episode. <laughs> uh, finally released as one package uh, on the Switch is Kentucky Route Zero TV Edition. Uh, you've played the whole thing? Yeah, I played through the whole thing over the last couple nights. I played it a lot more like a book, which is kind of what this game is like. I just played it one air quotes act a night or one chapter a night Mm -hmm. 
this is a weird game. Um, uh, I, I almost hesitate to use the word game, but I don't want to get into that discussion on this podcast, especially not with myself, because I don't think, Andy, you have a real real strong stakes in that whole what qualifies as a game thing. It's a game. You're playing on a game console. Yeah. You control the things. Yeah, it's a game. That's kind of the easiest way to just think of it. But as far as things to like, you know, interact with and things, puzzles to solve, there's not a lot here. Uh, this is mostly an interactive adventure in your choosing options. And there is a graphical element to this game. Uh, you, you do see, you know, like your characters standing in a scene and they walk around and they interact with objects. But most of the game is actually reading like basically what are stage directions in a script. So it's like you're watching a stage play basically. <laughs> and <laughs> you're not really playing as one character. You're more just reading this script and deciding what happens next so like one moment you'll be choosing the next dialogue option for one character and then in the next minute you might be choosing the response from another character you might choose what the characters do next they might go to one place or the other uh the perspectives change a lot like one chapter is you're watching security camera footage and all the dialogue in the game is from the security guards watching this footage years, if not decades, after the events of the game. It's very experimental. Uh, I basically think of this more as avant-garde theater than really more as a narrative adventure game. Hmm. Uh, it, it's super weird, but I did enjoy it. I, I think this is a really interesting thing to look at, especially uh, if <laughs> I'm going to dip into my college education here, which I haven't used all that much lately. But uh, if these words mean anything to you, magical realism or the new weird or southern gothic if those words mean anything to you that's what this game is this is mm-hmm. this is as far as being a narrative game it's very narrative this is a kind of game that i think would do well being studied in a college course more so than uh being you know talked about among a group of gamers so just uh, structurally, I know it was ep- episodic. Each one's like an hour and a half long or something. That's one of my criticisms is the episode lengths are very inconsistent. Like the third act I thought was way too long. I was doing each act like before bed, before I went to sleep. Mm-hmm. And the third act, I was just up much later than I wanted to be because it just would not end. <laughs> and then you get to the fifth act and the fifth act is like something completely different from the first four acts in terms of how it's structured and it's only an hour long Uh, and after i finished it i went on twitter and i was like wow uh uh it's a good thing the people who play kentucky route zero are already you know the kind of people who are willing to appreciate it for what it is because if this was a more mainstream game and people finished that fifth act they would probably be saying we waited four years for that because <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the fifth act was it was not that impressive you know structurally or thematically or in terms of how well it was written compared to the first four acts i thought it was kind of a letdown the weirdness just continues on and on like there are the fifth acts but there's even things that happen in between the acts that are called intermissions after the first mm-hmm. act uh, there's actually these characters walking around an art studio or a, or a museum they're ju- they're just looking at these art exhibits that's the entire intermission the second intermission is the weird one it, it was i was just sitting there agog 
at what was happening because it was so bizarre is you are playing an extra in a one act play and you're actually <laughs> sitting there on stage watching this entire act play out all the other characters on stage have lines you don't you're just this character sitting at a table in this bar you can look around you can see the audience you can see the other actors talking and you just sit there and you just watch this whole play play out <laughs> uh the th- third intermission is a a telephone hotline and you have to call in it's like this nature conservatory group and you just listen to all the weird stuff they've put on this phone line and you you do you dial their number and you you press one for this message you press two for this message and there's a whole mess of stuff to get in there i couldn't even listen to all of it because i couldn't keep track of where everything was at and it's just the intermissions were almost worth the price of admission alone because they were mm. even weirder than the base mm. game. But the base game is is weird. It's all about this guy named Conway who is an antiques deliveryman uh, who is trying to deliver this thing called... He's trying to deliver furniture. Uh, it doesn't matter what it is. This, this is just the setup for the game. Uh, he's trying to deliver furniture to a place called Dogwood Drive, which is, does not exist on any map. So he stops for directions, and the directions he gets says, oh, you got to take Kentucky Route Zero, which is a highway that's underground in Kentucky. And things get weirder and weirder from there. Like, he finds an office building underground that has uh, third-floor bears, which if you go to the third floor, yeah, it's an office floor <laughs> filled with bears who... Don't even give you a second glance. They're just sitting there, just just hanging out. <laughs> I, I think, you know, listening to me describe this game, you already know if you're going to like this game or not. <laughs> so if, if this sounds interesting to you, get it. If this sounds like something you would hate, you will hate it. Do not get it. <laughs> uh, yeah, it sounds interesting to me. But yeah, I've heard good nothing but good buzz about it before. So, uh, yeah. So that's Kentucky Route Zero. Uh recommend for the right type of person uh and the last game that you played was uh one we've talked about before me and Ginny uh gave it a glowing review god that would have been last year now mm-hmm. uh but uh cuphead just about a year ago it came out like march of last year i think yeah i think that's right yeah, yeah. so we're approaching the year mark so you've uh you finally caught up and you you've been playing some uh cuphead uh just want to clarify although i i do love it um i got stuck on the penultimate boss and haven't been back since because it is a lottery of several bosses um that that, that are less difficult than the proper bosses but still i just kept losing my patience so i I started playing something else it's not really a lottery because you actually can get the dice to land on the number you want it to land on so you can get it to go where you want and the bosses aren't that challenging and they only have one phase but still getting through all of them to get to that final boss uh i, mm. I understand your frustration <laughs> i <laughs> i had to really tough it out to get through that he was definitely the boss i was stuck on the longest but boss is the word here because uh i think a lot of people know cuphead as being that really well animated game and maybe if you know a little bit more about cuphead maybe you heard something about how the the fleischer animation that inspired it has some racist back history but as far as what the game itself was at least personally i never really heard anybody actually talking about what you do in this game and i really enjoyed it because it was basically a boss rush which i liked i mean there are some run and gun levels which i felt were 
both uninteresting and inconsequential. You know, I got through them and I didn't really think anything of them, but there aren't that many. I think there's six total in the entire game versus the there's like 20 bosses. And I enjoyed yeah. the bosses a lot more. And the, the bosses are heaps of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, They're really well made. They're beautifully animated, obviously. And they just get right to that point of the bosses. And I had a lot of fun just, just learning the phases of all these different bosses and that's it it's, it's a game about mastery mm-hmm. so you, you'll jump in you'll get walloped and then it's like okay cool and it just rewards perseverance where you just keep going in uh and you you suddenly learn all the tells all the uh all the animations that give away what the the enemy's about to do and you just you just learn to deal with it um yeah until you get frustrated enough to bail like i did <laughs> like uh as in in terms of going from like in in less than an hour, you know, like usually ten to twenty minutes is about how long it took me to figure a boss out, if not shorter. But like mm-hmm. going from first attempt, you know, just getting destroyed and wondering how it's even possible, then very quickly ascending to, you know, just handling it no problem. This game reminded me a lot of Punch Out. Oh yeah, yeah, I can see that. Um, I did struggle on the flying levels a lot. Um, yeah. Until I sort of spec'd him out with the right abilities to help me deal with that. On the flying levels? I didn't know you could spec yourself on the flying levels. I thought you just had the one... Uh, I thought you just had the one layout on. on the flying levels. Anyway. Yeah, my, my memory might be sketchy. I uh, No, you know you know what it was? I changed the controls. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, change the controls. That's my tip. I remember <laughs> the discussion that you guys, you and Ginny had last year. Uh-huh. And so I that was the first thing I did when I booted the game up was I went into the controls and I changed uh, the fire button to the right trigger. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah like i had no problem with the game uh, in terms yeah. of controls like it wasn't perfect there were a few things i didn't like like on the flying levels which i do think even though there were a couple of the flying level bosses i really enjoyed i do think the flying levels were the weakest levels especially mm-hmm. since on some okay. of them there's a lot of there's a lot of foreground stuff going by on the flying levels to give like this create this illusion that you're moving really fast and a lot mm. of the time that foreground stuff was blocking things I was trying to dodge. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of my losses on the flying levels were because I couldn't see things that were hitting me, which got pretty aggravating. But even that was stuff I, I learned to deal with. But I had to learn to deal with it because I couldn't just react to it because I couldn't see it. So that that got a little grating. But Yeah, there yeah. was uh, one in particular. I can't remember which one where I was... Uh... It, when it's at its most like bullet hellish where it's just like the whole screen is just bullets it sounds like that and, was probably the mermaid level yeah probably yeah uh and it and it's just like it's one of those things where the first couple of times it happens it just feels impossible because there's so much and it's just like no and then you realize that you only just need to do really minute movements mm-hmm uh, for a couple of minutes and and you'd be fine yeah just this that sort of learning pattern I, I i struggled with i did see you tweet that you weren't a big fan of the parrying system did you turn around on that at all i never turned around no. i i don't like the parrying system in this game that was i think that's the game's weakest part for me uh there there is a parry system where you can repel certain attacks that are colored pink uh, mm-hmm. And how you do it is is you double jump off of them, but the timing on the never felt quite right. And like, why am I double jumping to parry? Uh, just give me a dedicated parry button because this game doesn't even use all the face buttons anyway. So mm-hmm. just 
just have a parry button that I can press, and, you know, I can, yeah. <laughs> but don't make me perfectly time a jump button, or don't make me perfectly time a second jump off of a projectile that is quite often moving. So I, I, I never, I never clicked with the parry, and most of my learning curve with several of the bosses was either learning the parry or learning how to do the boss without parrying. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. It, it does help a lot if you can nail it. Because I remember like it was fine in the tutorial um, and then I struggled doing it on a couple of the bosses. So I was just like, mm-hmm. ah, I'm just not going to engage with that at all. And then um, some of the later ones, I really had a breakthrough once I sort of mastered it. So, yeah. But yeah, so uh, overall, you liked it? Overall, I, I really liked it. I do like Cuphead. I, I think if you're into challenge gaming or rush gaming or... Bullet hell shooters? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think you would really <laughs> enjoy this game. But uh, if it's definitely a game I think that is aimed more at the get good mentality, as much as I hate mm-hmm. that. But like, I hate that mentality, but I like the games that they, they make for those people. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, I enjoyed Cuphead. I do recommend it. Okay, Andrew, what are you planning on playing this week? There's uh, an expansion campaign for Wargroove out called Double Trouble. Uh, it's a mm. co-op campaign is how they're describing it. So I don't know if that means I have to play it with another player, but if I don't have to, then I'm going to be playing that. Nice. Or I'll be trying to work out some way to play it with another player. And now that I'm done with Tokyo Mirage Sessions, I'm giving Pokemon Shield another chance. So cool. we'll see if I enjoy that before uh, the DLC comes out in June. <laughs> uh, th- that's kind of why I want to get it done, so I-, I can decide if I'm going to get that DLC or not. But we'll see what happens. <laughs> um, now, I wasn't really planning on playing anything apart from like attacking stuff in my backlog. I'm still playing uh, the Layton game on, on my light just so like 10 minutes before bed do a couple of puzzles so it's it's a slow burn um i'm hoping to move on to darkest dungeon on that after because i feel like yeah. that would be a good uh, a good short burst thing just remember uh, don't what you said previously don't turn on the dlc packs until you're ready to do them or they will make your life mm. harder for a first time no, I, w- through. I will stick with the base game okay. until i learn learn the game so what I am planning on doing now that Tokyo Mirage Sessions is done, because uh, I, to- I totally wasn't expecting to have it done this week, is uh, I'm going to jump on to Akami, which I know you're going to do. Something we're going to try and do more often in cases where we- we're both interested in a game, buy it, and then just haven't had a chance to play it. So we're going to sort of tackle that at similar times so we can uh, cover it in sort of a deep dive later on. I'm not sure how, how long this game's going to take me, but... Uh... It's a pretty long game, actually, yeah. Uh... Yeah, yeah, I've heard it's too long. Uh, <laughs> I played on Wii, and yeah, I'm def- I was definitely in the this game is too long camp. It it outstays its welcome, <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, I I still liked it. Cool, um, and it's one I've been meaning to play for so long. Um, I assume you're going to play with uh, motion controls because <laughs> oh, uh, that okay. was uh, one thing that like there's a lot of drawing in Okami, which is mm-hmm. it's great. That motion controls is great for that, but. The combat with waggle controls, the combat is way too repetitive for waggle controls. And that was one thing that just drove me up the wall because my wrist was killing me when I was done with that game. (laughs) So, uh, like, if I can use motion controls to draw, great. But if in the process of drawing I'm also required to waggle to attack enemies, I'm not going to use motion controls mm-hmm. so we'll see what the game lets me do cool i was just going to stick with pad on the basis that i might want to play handheld 
yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't want that um, dissonance between the two control schemes. Um, so yeah, maybe we'll even see if we can get a guest on that one because I know a lot of people that love that game. Look forward to that at some point in the future. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Switch Focus podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us to get noticed. You can listen and subscribe on Stitcher, TuneIn, and other podcast services, uh, including Spotify now. Uh, be sure to join our Discord server to interact with the lively Switch Focus community. You can follow us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and at switchfocuspodcast.com for updates, news, and other content. The links are in the show notes. If you'd like to support the show, you can buy us a coffee. Details are on our website. Thanks in advance. This episode was edited by Craig Windle. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at CraigityCraig or his music career at Wimbles at Dawn. He, he made many of 8-bit chiptune interludes on, on the show. Uh, no, in fact, he made all of those. So uh, I'm sure you'll agree that they're all awesome and you can hear more of his stuff uh, through those channels. We don't always promote work, but Andrew, I know you wrote a new article that Switch people would like to hear about. Yeah, I, I, last year I wrote a top five switch indie releases of 2017 and 2018 uh so this year i thought i may as well do the top five switch releases in 2019 and you can find that on my website at playcritically.com and i'm also nice i'm trying to write more (laughs) so there are a few other things posted on there not necessarily switch related but if you do look at my website now i actually am updating it (laughs) we'll see how long (laughs) that lasts Damn, you make me want to go back to my uh, rarely used website. You do a lot more than I do, though. Like, you do freelancing. I don't freelance, so I have no excuse for how little I do anything (laughs) other than this podcast. (laughs) But hey, you do a hell of a good job on this. Uh, And uh, lastly, if you want to follow us individually on Twitter, you can follow me at Toast, and you can follow Andrew at PlayCritically.
Feeling kind of blue, boys, feeling kind of blue. I'm sick and lonesome, and I'm feeling kind of blue. I'm on my long journey Suckers. <laughs> <laughs>